The book of Ecclesiastes is a remarkable book. The truth is, it's both fascinating and puzzling. It's fascinating if you read it and you, you begin to get involved in what Solomon is saying, and yet at the same time, it almost appears to be somewhat cynical about life. It explores both what is and what should be. Most of us want life to be better, and yet we look at the world in which we live and we recognize there's, there's so much about it that needs to be different. It tests the in-depth meaning of life. You know, I remember many years ago taking classes in philosophy, and the question comes up, what is life all about? What does life mean? And you find a number of philosophers who want to offer their take on life. And what does life really mean? Well, this lesson will introduce a series of lessons titled The Ponderings of the Preacher. And obviously you know from hearing Brother David read just a few moments ago, the preacher is not this preacher. The preacher is the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. It will address some hard questions about life. What is life? What is life? And what is it all about? Why are we here? And what are we supposed to do while we are here? Well, tonight we're going to look at three things. Number one, who is the preacher? Uh, that's important. And I think as we look at that, you'll begin to appreciate it. Number two, what does the preacher want to know. He's got some questions in his mind, and he wants to investigate, to search those questions out and find answers so he can live life to its fullest. And then number three, why is this relevant to modern man? Is it relevant to modern man? Let's begin with the preacher. And I know most of you are probably unconcerned about this, but the Hebrew title of this book is called Colette, which simply means the speaker of the assembly. You point out in your Bible that the book is titled Ecclesiastes. That is a Greek translation based on the word ecclesia. And I know you've heard that word many times. It's the word that is given for the church. It literally means the called out ones. You, you call people together for an assembly. And when they assemble together in a congregation or a group, that's what he's talking about. And so this is a person who is in a position to explain to and speak to the assembly about what he has learned. Essentially, the book of Ecclesiastes is a sermon. It's a very long sermon, but it's a sermon that was given to the congregation to say, this is what life is all about. Tradition, both Jewish and Christian, says that Solomon is the author. I believe what you ought to do is, rather than just looking at tradition, is see what the book itself says. And as you begin, the very first thing that you learn is that he is both the son of David and he is a king. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. That's going to narrow down the possibilities greatly. Because if you have David, the only people who could qualify as a son of David would have been Solomon, 
Rehoboam and the other kings of Judah. To say that he is the king of Jerusalem also focuses it down on one of those who would rule in that area. We learn from the book of Ecclesiastes that he is a very wise man. In chapter 1 and verse 16 we read, he said, I commend with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge. You go a little bit further to chapter 12, verse 9. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. You see, Solomon is the only one that appears to be the son of David, to be the king in Jerusalem, and to be exceptionally wise. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 12 tells us about how God blessed him with wisdom. God said, I've given you a wise and an understanding heart so that there's not been anyone like you before, nor shall be anyone arise after you. Solomon was going to be unique in his position as a wise man. But another thing that points to Solomon as being the author is being a great builder. Because as you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you realize the man who wrote this book built a lot of things and Solomon, according to 2 Kings, was this great builder. Listen for just a moment to chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. I made my works great. I built myself houses, planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. That's a picture of a man who's truly a builder. When you read Solomon's description in 1 Kings chapter 7, it said he took 13 years to build his own house. We read in verses 6 and 7 that he built the hall of pillars. The size of it was 50 cubits in width and 30 cubits or 50 cubits and its width 30 cubits and in front of them had a portico of pillars. You go further in chapter 7 verses 8 and 12. He said he built another house in the court, one for the daughter of Pharaoh. And then you read about the building of the temple. Solomon was a great builder. And he was exceptionally wealthy. In chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, The house where he dwelt had another, and he gathered for himself silver and gold and the special treasure of kings and of the provinces. He says, I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the son of men, musical instruments of all kinds. And he says, I became great and excelled more than all those who were before me in Jerusalem, and my wisdom remained with me. He said, you look... I have just been given all kinds of wealth. In 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14, 21, and 23, Solomon had 666 talents of gold that came in to him. All the vessels of his house that he drank from were gold. All the vessels in the house of the forest were of gold. 
Not one was silver, for silver was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. I want you to imagine a man who is so wealthy, he's not going to use silver at all because everything has to be gold. He surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. I think you can say pretty confidently that Solomon is the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. But now I want to focus on this second part. This is really, to me, the the key part. He wants to know the truth and how to express that truth. When it comes my privilege to stand in the pulpit before you, I want to have spent time that week searching out truth. And I want to be able to explain it and to be able to preach it in such a way that you say, I got something out of that. I learned some truth from it. In chapter 12, verse 10, the preacher sought to find acceptable words. And what was written was upright words of truth. I think of what Jesus said in John 8, verse 32. You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. Solomon was wanting to be able to present to the congregation things that he knew was true, not speculation, but that which was right and correct. Some of these truths he learned by instruction. Some of them he learned by experience. I'm always amazed that when our young people go to school and they graduate, maybe they graduate from high school, maybe from college, maybe from some trade program, I said, now you're ready to get a good education. That's because... You have gotten the instruction. You know the answers to a lot of questions. Now you're just going to start learning what the real questions are. Proverbs 1 and verse 5. A wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Chapter 9, verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. Of course, some of us have to be taught the hard way. Chapter 26, 3, a whip for the horse, a bridle for a donkey, and a rod for a fool's back. Sometimes you have to listen, you have to learn, and sometimes you have to be taught. Sometimes you have to consider or think upon things. Quite frequently, I find myself reading through Scripture and say, You know, that's a really good point. How can I take that principle and that point and explain it so that it means something to people? And Solomon wanted to do that as well. In Proverbs chapter 24, he said in verse 30, I went by the field of a lazy man and by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding. There it was, all overgrown with thorns, it's... Surface was covered with nettles, stone walls broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well and I looked on it and received instruction. He said, when I walked by, I observed, that man, he's not done anything. He says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, so shall poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. You learn things by observing, by thinking, by considering. 
sometimes, and I emphasize, sometimes when you think about these things, they're not pleasant. In fact, they're painful. If you go to the book of Psalms, to chapter 73, there is a psalm of Asaph that is there. And that psalm in and of itself has always intrigued me because I think it represents the way that many of us look at life. Particularly, we look at those around about us and we see sometimes mean people, evil people, ungodly people are doing well while we ourselves are trying to do what is right, struggle, and have a hard time. Here's what Asaph said. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there's no pangs in their death but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace, and violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, His people return here, and the waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know, and is there knowledge in the Most High? As you're reading along with me in this, I want you to think about some of the people who are on the television lately. How they mock God, they take His name in vain, they're so vile in what they say, and yet it seems they make millions of dollars, and... Their lives are filled with all kinds of pleasure. Solomon goes on, or Asaph goes on to say, Behold, these are ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to a generation of your children. Now listen very carefully to verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. I don't know how to deal with with people who are doing right and successful and are people doing wrong and are successful and people who are doing right and it seems like they're not successful. And he said, it pained me to think about that. Then you can put dot, dot, dot until I went to the sanctuary of God and then I understood their latter end. You see, Asaph would say, you know, when you look at life and you start thinking about it, sometimes it seems there's these inequities in it. He says, but God's able to fix that in the end. Now, for just a few minutes, I want to think about Why is this relevant to modern man? Does this have any application to your life and to mine? Are we just spending our Sunday evenings just to go through some sort of lesson? Or is there something in this that 
has some meaning, some help for me to live my daily life. Well, I want to point out to you that sometimes we think we live in a more complex world with problems that are much different than people in the past. And listen to Solomon chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. That which is done is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there's no new thing under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. And someone says, Oh, but you don't understand. We've got men walking around now who act like women. You do know that they did that in the past, don't you? You do know you can go back and you look at ancient Rome and you can see homosexuality reached a a peak of ungodliness with them as well. Oh, you have to see there's still the same sorts of challenges. Now, what if I were to ask you in your own mind right now, What kind of things are people living for? I'm talking about these young people who are graduating from high school, graduating from college, going out into the workforce. I'm talking about the man who's now 40 years old and he's rearing children. I'm talking about a man who's 65 years old and he's looking at life. What is life all about? What are people really looking for? You ponder in your mind and you can say, well, some people are looking for knowledge and wisdom. They're looking to education to be able to solve the ills of this world. If we could only be just a little smarter and have a little more knowledge and a little more understanding, we could solve all of this world's problems. I know that's the thought of many people. Well, listen to Solomon in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I, the preacher, was the king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all the things done under heaven. This is a burdensome task that God has given to the sons of men by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that is done under the sun, and indeed... All is vanity and grasping for wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be numbered. I want you to remember verse 15 as we go further here. I commend with my heart in saying, Look, I have attained greatness and gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge and I set my heart to know wisdom, to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping for wind for in much wisdom is much grief and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now, for just a minute... Think about what Solomon has just said. I told you not to forget verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight. 
Here's a problem that this world has. I can't control you, and you can't control me. Oh, if we were just such an educated and enlightened society, we wouldn't have Kim Jong-il's. Or if we were so intelligent, we wouldn't have people killing other people. Really? You see some of the most educated people in the world still involved in murder, still involved in all things such as that. Their education is not able to solve all the world's problems. You look also at what he said here. He says, what I found out, this was like Grasping for wind. You think about going outside and the wind's blowing real hard. I'm going to grasp that wind, grab a hold of it, and now be able to do something. Well, you can't do that. In much wisdom is much grief. He who increases in knowledge increases sorrow. Do you know what happens the more you know? The more you realize you can't do everything you'd like to do. You know, we have a knowledge explosion in our world today. With the advent of the Internet, it's meant that people can pull out a little electronic device and they can find out what's happening and going on around the world and they can hear so much meanness, so much wickedness, so much vileness, and they say, I never knew all this was happening. You see, the more you know, the more you realize things are not what you want them to be. Some people pursue pleasure. Some people say, well, okay, I've given up on knowledge. I know I'll never know it all. I know I'll never be that intelligent. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to live my life enjoying every pleasure that I am able to find in life. Solomon said, I tried that too. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I said to my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this also is vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine, guiding my heart with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under the heaven all the days of their lives. And then verse 10 Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all of my labor, and this was a reward from all of my labor. Solomon said, you know what I tried? I tried to enjoy every pleasure of life. And he said, you don't know what I found out? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity and grasping for wind. What did I find out? I found out if a man lives for pleasure, it's not going to bring him what he thinks it will. You look at some of these young people who think when they go off to college, they're going to enjoy all this pleasure and you see all the debauchery, the drunkenness, you see the the immoral behavior and they think they're going to be happy. Oh, they're not happy. Ask some of those football players from Vanderbilt who got in trouble. Their lives are ruined. 
They were searching for pleasure. And what did they find? Grief and sorrow. Solomon said, I looked for all this joy. And what did it bring? Madness. Mirth. What does it accomplish? Some people say, I'm not looking for the intelligence. I'm not looking for the pleasure. I just want to make all the money I can make in life. I want to end life with with a big bank account and nice houses and everything that man could be able to afford. Let's listen to Solomon again in verses 4 through 9 of chapter 2. I made my works great. I built myself houses, planted myself vineyards, made myself gardens, water pools. He said, I had more than everybody else before me. Verse 8, I gathered silver and gold, special treasures of kings of provinces, male and female singers, the delights of the son of men, musical instruments of all kinds. I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem, and also my wisdom remained with me. He said, you know what? I tried to enjoy the wealth. But you know, there's a problem with that. Wealth is transient. It only stays for a little while. Because the man who acquires it, Solomon's going to observe later on, he can't keep it. He's going to have to leave it to those who will come after him. And he's going to say, who knows whether I will leave it to a wise man or to a fool. And when I leave, I'm going to leave everything. can take none of it with me. Not only are the pursuits today the same as they were in the book of Ecclesiastes, but the results are the same. You see, that's the lesson to be learned in the relevance is if I know that I do this, this is what comes from it. I can look back in history and I can see a person do this and this is what's come from it. I can look and see a man pursuing only the knowledge of man and see many men like Albert Einstein die miserable and die a life unworthy of living. I can see people who have lived for pleasure and see their lives and the misery that they have lived in. I can see wealthy men who on the day of their death would swap all that wealth for other things. There's a great equalizer. There's, there's a great event that Solomon really boils all this down to. And that is that everyone is going to pass from this life. In chapter 9 and verse 5, the living know that they will die. Every one of us, whether we want to admit it or not, know that our day is coming. It may be soon, it may be later, but we all know that it's coming. In chapter 8 and verse 8, no one has the power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, and no one has power over the day of his death. I can't will myself to say, I'm going to live longer. It just won't happen. 
chapter 12, verse 7 says, The dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. That event is going to happen to each one of us. Now, Solomon would observe that some of us can die prematurely. In chapter 7, verse 17, Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? Why should you die early in life because of foolish behavior? But the truth is, is that all of us are going to meet that. And this book tackles some of the greatest questions from which you and I will struggle. Some of the things that you and I are going to have to face in this life, and we're going to have to answer these questions. I hope you'll make your plans to be here over the next several Sunday nights as we explore these various things that Solomon has given us. The ponderings of the preacher will deal with our questions and also our attitudes toward life. Ideally, this lesson should help us reorient our minds and our hearts and the conclusion must be kept at the center of our lives. I'm going to go ahead and give you the spoiler. You know what spoiler is? Somebody tells you how it all ends. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what spoiler is. Chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Wow, Solomon, you mean you went through all of that? And here's your profound conclusion. Yes, this is it. Man's all is in fearing God and keeping his commandments. Because regardless of what else you may pursue in life, whatever else may be enjoyable to you in life, Whatever else you may acquire in this life, fearing God and keeping His commandments is by far the most important. If you'll open your songbooks, if you will, tonight to number 714, we're going to sing this song. And if you're not a Christian, what a privilege you've got tonight. What mercy God has extended to you to give you a privilege and a time and an opportunity to be baptized for the remission of your sins. This is not just a formality. This is a genuine appeal. And if you're a Christian and you look at your life and you're saying, it's all messed up, and I know why it's messed up. I've not been fearing God and keeping His commandments. Why not come as together we stand and sing?